We're going to be starting in verse 25 of Acts 20. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among you your own selves, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown that you by work shown you that by working hard in this way you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive and when he had said these things he knelt down and prayed with them all and there was much weeping on the part of all they embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship this is God's word. You may be seated as we go into prayer. So, Father, I just leave all those things in your care, and I pray that as we enter into your word that you would use this time this morning that we have to see what it is we need to see with this last part of Paul's transition away from a people that he loved so deeply. I pray that you would anoint this word, Lord, that the words that would come out of my mouth would be pleasing and acceptable to you, and that, Holy Spirit, you would use whatever comes from this pulpit that you would just anoint that you would allow it to seek out our hearts and our minds and you would allow it to be planted within our spirits Lord that we would walk in the truth of what we speak down to our core that it is you alone who are king and you alone who are Lord and that our lives don't belong to us but we belong to you And that everything that we do, Lord, whatever field we find ourselves in, is to be done to the glory of the name of Jesus. So that the world can see that you are real and you are living and active among your people. So we just give you thanks, Lord, this morning and we pray your blessing upon this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've titled this message this week, um, God's New Assignment. God's New Assignment. And I'm going to do my best honestly, to get us out within the allotted time that we have, but I found myself trying to, to, to put aside some things and figure out how it is I can get what it is. I really felt we needed to get out of these verses here this morning uh, without running into an hour or more, and I think I've done so, but perhaps not, so just bear with me, because what I want us really to look at is the important part of what Paul's got going on here in this transition. The life that God calls us to is one that is always going somewhere. God doesn't call us and then park us in a particular place. He's always calling us into change. He's always calling us into, even if it's just in our personal lives and sanctification. Our faithfulness to do what he calls us to do is how we actually grow into maturity as Christians and then become part of God's people for his world and how it is he can use us in a way that brings glory to his name. And that's what we're going to look at today. So... John Piper, many of you know who he is, but John Piper once said that a thousand sorrows teaches a man to preach. 
a thousand sorrows teaches a man to preach. And when I heard him say that, um, I didn't like that statement, being that, you know, my job is a preacher and to preach. And it really unsettled me when he said that. But the more I dug into that and the more I see the call of God in pastoral care ministry, the more I understand that that is very true, that he is absolutely right. A thousand sorrows teaches a man to preach. It's how our hearts are formed because it's through trials. It's through struggles. It's through challenges that arrive in pastoral ministry and rise up every single day that we have to deal with, which push us forward towards the call that God has for us in our life as pastors and as ministers. It's a difficult job that we have. And and, and wrestling through this particular passage, trying to find Paul's heart as well as what it is we need to take away from this, the issue that I face with every day as a teacher of the word is how it is I can help people see that there will always be times of transition within your life. It never really ends. There are always times of transition in our life where sorrow arises, where struggle occurs. Nothing is always easy. Where fear comes in because we become unsettled because things are just not the way in which we want them. And all of those things put together are actually the things which fertilize our soul for growth in and through the Holy Spirit being conformed to the likeness of his son Jesus. See, these are all the things that the Apostle Paul faced everywhere he went. And yet you discover if you read the letters in the New Testament that he has left for us, he found joy through the Lord and in the Holy Spirit in every single thing. Even when what he was doing was sitting deep, deep in the the damp and dank prisons that he was thrown into after he was beaten, simply for preaching the gospel in a town and people were upset with that. He was able to find the joy of the Lord in and through the Holy Spirit. There's no other explanation here to understand that than to say that Paul knew God had it under control. Did he not? That's the only explanation I can come up with. And that God had always been faithful to Paul every single step of the way within his ministry. Paul's job and duty was to trust God that God had it under control. And in that call that God had for him, he was to be faithful to do what he had been given to do. Regardless of what the circumstances were in and around him. Regardless of where it was God called him to be. Paul's job was faithful to the call. And we've been looking at this last major transition that Luke records for us in Acts 20 of the Apostle's life in these past weeks, learning lessons that I'm hopeful that they're helpful for us as we navigate transitions in our own life, as we take a look at the different things that go on and how it is we can handle them. But we're going to look at the very hard portion of Paul's story today. It's an incredibly human moment in the life of the Apostle Paul. We always look at these men who we we see in Scripture and these women who we see in Scripture as being completely aloof of any of the struggles and whatnot. They had some sort of superpower that allowed them to do the things that they did. No, they're very human, human people who dealt with very hard issues. They just knew that the Lord had it under control. See, Paul, it seems, is very concerned that he puts in place the safeguards for the elders that he has established in the congregation in Ephesus. That's his prime concern. He's already discovered the fact that it's not going to go well for him on the other end of this journey away from Ephesus. So that's a settled deal. I'm going to be obedient to God in that call. Now what I have to worry about is the congregation that's being left behind and the elders that I have to put in place there and all of those things that we have established to protect the congregation and the church there. Because churches are about gathering together. We have to come together as a community of believers. That is how it is we build one another up and we are strengthened together. 
Again, I say, anybody who tells you that they can be a Christian and never have to gather together in fellowship with somebody away from this, that, or the other thing on a good Sunday is, is not right. We cannot do this alone. We are to gather together. But as importantly as that is, the Christian life is about steady growth and maturing in our individual walks and then corporate walk with Christ. That is important. That's actually more important, being conformed to the likeness of Jesus every step along the way and everything that we transition from, learning from the scriptures as we gather together what it is God has to say to us, then applying that, not just hearing it and storing it in our head, but taking that for the week and wrestling it through and how it works itself out in our day-to-day life, applying it there, teaching others in the midst of that, those folks that we come in, in contact with throughout the week, how is it we can share Jesus with them in a way that will impact their life, And at the same time, with all of that's going on, the more strong we are in that area, the easier it is for us to protect against goofiness and all kinds of weird things that come about that we're so afraid to say, that's just not right. The stronger we are together, the more we grow as individuals before Jesus, the easier it is for us to be able to discern what is good and what is not. And Paul, as you will recall, has told them that his life was all about what? Serving everybody else, and preaching the gospel wherever Paul went. He's already established that for them. That meant more than anything, obedience to whatever King Jesus told Paul to do. Paul didn't ask for ID. Paul didn't question what God called him to. He struggled with it, but he never said, I'm not doing that. He always did what it was he was called to. And that's difficult at times for us to understand when we live in such a self-absorbed culture where everything is all about me. That the giving of one's life to serve others, to empty oneself in the service of others, seems to be a bizarre contradiction to this whole culture that we live in where every single thing is all about what's in it for me. How hard is this going to be? God would never make me do something that would make me sweat a little bit and stretch me just beyond where I am. It's not all about that. I don't want to go there, Lord. That's just a little bit outside of my comfort zone. I don't want to do this either. In a culture that is self-absorbed, that's the direction that those questions go. But you have to understand that those are all very good questions and those are very good statements so long as we as Christ followers are circling those in and around the person of Jesus. I can go to him and say, I'm not comfortable with doing this, Lord. That's an honest response. But then my response has to be, how are you going to help me do what it is you're calling me to? It has to be circled in and around Jesus. If it's circled in and around us, we will talk ourselves out of everything that's a little bit too difficult and a little bit too uncomfortable for us. And I left you last week with this verse. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That is about as non-self-centered a statement as a human being can make. I count my life, I do not count my life of any value nor is precious to myself. In other words, I don't really care about my life so long as I can testify about what it is Jesus has done in and through me and what it is he has done with this world and for this world. And that's a strange and selfish way to go for a very arrogant Pharisee who at the beginning of his career did what? He spent his early years persecuting the very church and the very people and putting to death the very people he is now willing to go to prison for and sacrifice his life for. And if that is not a prime example of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, where you take a man who breathes death out and you 
turn him into a man who is willing to lay his entire life down on the altar for people whose names he doesn't even know, all in order that they may hear the gospel of Jesus. That's a true testament to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. That's the grace of God acting in and through somebody. You see, when God gets a hold of your heart, weird things tend to happen. Really bad people all of a sudden are no longer really bad people because of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Strange things begin to happen where you begin to think differently and you begin to concern yourself with other people as opposed to just staring at our belly buttons all day long trying to figure out what's in it for me. We begin to die to ourselves and we begin to move forward, stepping into what it is he's called us to. And that's a hard thing for all of us because, frankly, if we are honest with ourselves as human beings, our default position is very self-centered. It is for me. And if we're honest with ourselves, that is the problem with all of us. We are very self-centered. But God, when he gets a hold of us, begins to transform that. And we walk away from that. You see, full-time ministry is not the only place where God is going to call you to bring the gospel and minister to people. See, the problem with full-time ministry is there are a whole bunch of guys in full-time ministry and not a whole bunch of them are called to full-time ministry. It's not the only place that God will call you to be a missionary for him. Every one of you sitting in this worship center sanctuary this morning go to places that I cannot go. I cannot go to your workspace, but you can. I cannot go where it is you visit, but you can. There are places that I can go. He will use you as a missionary there in and through the giftings that you have in your life, in and through the way in which you can communicate with people and talk with people. That notion that it's only the pastor's job and you have to be called into full-time ministry or you don't need to share Jesus with anybody is one of those notions that I would like somebody to park in a garage, leave it forever, lock the door, and never bring it out again. Okay, There is no difference between here and where you are in the world. There isn't sacred and secular. We've talked about that, remember. It is either sacred or it is profane. Which means if you are working your hardest, and I'm looking over here as a financial analyst, say, okay, you are doing that as to the glory of God, as to best of your ability, because that is what you are gifted in doing. So you pick whatever it is you do in life, and that is what you do to the glory of God. That is your mission field. That is where your ministry starts. You see, if God has uniquely gifted you in a certain area, That is where the quiet and the deep prayer begins. And you have to ask the Lord, what is it you want me to do? Because then you begin to step into maturity. And then you prepare yourself for the works of ministry. See, that's the whole deal with why it is God calls us and places us in certain spots. There's things I can't do. I'm just not gifted. But there are people here who are gifted in those areas. And that's where Jesus shows up. Because you're there. See, if you belong to Jesus, you have to understand that your life Your money, your time, and your job are your ministry and your offering to him every single day. Every day. Do you see now why this is so counterintuitive to the world in which we live in, where I'm going to choose a career that's going to give me the biggest bang for my buck, the most notoriety, the most money, what I'm most comfortable in? It's totally counterintuitive. You see, Paul himself was called to preach the gospel. But you know what else he did? He made tents. Because he made tents for a living. So he would make tents wherever he went in order that they didn't have to pay him, even though the church, through their faithful giving of their tithes and their offerings, 
He chose to support himself so they wouldn't have to support him. The money could go elsewhere. It's kind of strange how practical and mundane the call of God can be in your life, isn't it? I'm going to show up in Corinth when the Isthmus games are going on and all of these athletes are sleeping in, guess what, tents. And tents need repair. Where did Paul start his missionary? On a corner of 5th and Main, so intense for the guy who's running the 50-yard dash. And oh, by the way, can I tell you about Jesus? Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. How practical and mundane the call of God can be. Don't sit around waiting for that divine aha moment. I know that I struggle with that. We all do. We all do. But God works in the day-to-day outworkings of your faithfulness to do what he calls you to do. You see him active. More often than not, as we've been seeing with Paul, it is in that day-to-day simple obedience to do the very practical things. Just where it is God has planted you, you'll find that he moves the most in your faithfulness to just do the simple things that he's given you to do each and every day. You see him working in that. See, because this is the hard thing. There's many a saint in this world that's going to spend their entire life, and many have spent their entire lives, being very faithful in the quiet day-to-day faithfulness that God has given them to do in whatever task it is he has given them to do. Never to be known by any human being this side of glory. They are known but unto God and the few people whose lives they impacted. They lived a faithful life. They died a glorious way. They will be resurrected in that end. And nobody knows the wiser, but they were faithful to the end. They weren't looking for anything other than to be faithful to what God had called them to. You see, but in heaven, in heaven, not one thing was missed by the eyes of God for those people who died in that way. In heaven, the record is kept. God understands their faithfulness. God understands your faithfulness. See, Paul challenges these elders here in this text, and he starts with saying his goodbyes to them, and he reminds them of what he has done for them. He has to do that because he's making a shift here. He says in verse 25, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Not, Not that he didn't kill anybody, but that he was faithful to testify about Jesus to everyone. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's what he's saying there. There's no huge ministry of glory here. He's not looking for the gold pulpit in the platform or anything like that. Just daily faithfulness to do what God has assigned him to do in this world. And at the cost of his life, he would do that. Ask yourself each day as you pray, what am I to do today for you, Lord? What are my assignments tomorrow, Monday, as I head back out into the world and out of this facility? What are my assignments tomorrow for you, Lord, to bring glory to you that will have an impact on those within my sphere of influence? What do you have for me to do? Don't look for the big splash. Don't look for the pat on the back or the pat on the head. Job well done, job well done. They'll come. And those are good things. Those aren't bad things. But we don't do things in order to get that. Those are encouraging things for us, but we don't look for those. Your obedience to the simple things in your life will allow God to grow you to the big things that he's preparing you for, whatever they look like. He will take you from the simple to the big. You remember Jesus' story that he told about the guy he gave five talents to? What happened there? The guy turned those five talents into ten talents. Now, what did he get rewarded? A vacation? Did Jesus give him an island somewhere? No. What did he give him? More work. That's the principle of ministry. 
If you are good at what you do and you are faithful at what it is you do, he will give you more to do. We think that if we are faithful in what it is he's called us to do and we are good at it, we'll get, you know, something other than more work to do. But if he has gifted you in a particular way, he's going to use you that. He's going to use that way. Paul was never afraid to proclaim the truth of the gospel everywhere he went, at whatever cost it was that Jesus of Nazareth came into the world to save the world, to redeem humanity. And his life, his death, and his resurrection is the only hope that this world has. And Paul would not waste a moment of his life missing an opportunity to declare that to people. But we see here in this text where Paul now begins to make his changes. He's laid out what it is he's done. He's laid out all the things that he has suffered so that they understand what they need to be prepared for. Because now he's shifting from what it is I've been doing to what it is you as the elders who are in charge over this church are to do now when he instructs them in this way. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. I want to stop there just for a second and this is going to take me a bit to work out and that's okay. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which what? The Holy Spirit has made you overseers we have to understand that when elders and pastors are called it is a call of God and it is the infilling and anointing of the Holy Spirit that makes them elders it is the congregation that simply confirms the call of God upon their life into that position it is not the congregation that calls and anoints an elder or a deacon unless I'm missing what it is Paul saying here it is the Holy Spirit who has made that it is the congregation who confirms that but it is the Holy Spirit who calls. And we need to be faithful to God and what he calls us to. So Paul continues, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now this is loaded. And we could take all day long to go through this, and I've parked more than I'm going to say, but we need to take a look at a few things here. Because having been taught by Paul and reminded of his struggle and God's faithfulness in the ministry, he's now challenging these men to do the following things. You are to teach, you are to serve, and you are to protect the congregation in Ephesus. That is your divine assignment. You are to teach, you are to serve, and you are to protect the congregation in Ephesus. Don't ever buy the notion for one minute when someone comes to you that church hierarchical structure as we have it today was an invention of 20th century man. From the very outset of the church, there has been structure from the top down. From the appointing of deacons in Acts 6 to everywhere Paul went, he grew elders, he developed elders, and he set up church leadership everywhere he went. It has been the principle from the beginning. Don't think otherwise. It has been abused. It has been misused. And has been misunderstood, but never think that it is an invention of man within the last 200 years. It is not. It is a call of God. The Holy Spirit has done these things, and they have an assignment now. It's to be run and done in a particular way. It's the established practice all the way from the outset. These men are going to go back to Ephesus, and they are going to bring the things which do not line up with the truth of the gospel that Paul has always preached out into the open in order to protect the congregation that they have. They are going to be the ones that say, no, sorry, that's not what's going to go here. And that's important to understand. That they are now responsible to ensure that what is being taught this church in Ephesus is correct. Paul had been doing that all along. And he had been raising these elders all along as well because he knew at some point they would be the ones that would have to step into that role. 
And it's critical for the elders to do that. That's what we're seeing here. You see, because I personally, as a pastor, do my very best every single week. I don't pull a sermon out of my armpit on Saturday night. I say that very clearly. I hope most of you know that. Any pastor who does that really needs to go back to the drawing board and be very prayerful. Because you're not feeding your congregation if that's the way you do that. I do my absolute best every week as I prepare a message to follow Paul's instructions to Timothy, which was part of our first reading. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, Timothy was a young man who had been put in charge over this church in Ephesus, and it's painfully obvious to me that he was having a hard time understanding who he was really responsible for, or to. I should say, not for. See, he was responsible for his congregation, but he was responsible to God for that. And it's obvious here that he needs to be reminded, listen, present yourself to God as one approved. Now again, we could spend all day on exactly how that works itself out, but there has to be a purpose to our preaching, and there's a purpose to my preaching. And it's not simply to fill an hour or 40 minutes of somebody's life with my opinion on what I think might be going on here. But ultimately, it is to prepare you for the works of ministry. That's Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. As we teach out of the scriptures here, it is ultimately to prepare the church for works of service. That's what Paul said to the Ephesian church. So I do my best to study. I do my best then to come up here and to teach exactly how I'm supposed to teach in order that you have a better understanding of the truths of scriptures. To make clear what it is are in the scriptures. Why? Because I am accountable for you to God. I am not accountable to you before God. I am accountable for you before God. As much as it depends on me, I am accountable before God for you. And, and, and that is something that is my call. That's the call of every pastor. And pastors can be pulled 6, 8, 10, 40 ways to Sunday trying to make everybody happy and do what it is they want to do. That is a pastor who is accountable to his people. And then trying to figure out how that works itself out before God. That's why I said I do my best to make sure I am studied up and I have a message that preaches the scripture because I am accountable to God for you as much as it depends on me. And that's hard for some to understand. It's hard sometimes for me to understand. There are nights it keeps me up. But that's just the call of pastoral ministry. We have the concerns for the church. I want you to be able to stand. I want you to be able to defend the scriptures in a culture that is anti-scripture. I want you to be able to explain to your friends why it is Jesus is the answer. I want you to be able to share the gospel in a way that opens the door for people to hear about and even come to Jesus. I want you to be able to stand. You want to know how I love this church and how I love you? I teach you. When the day comes when I stop preaching from this book and things go pear-shaped and weird... I'm certain the elders are going to have a conversation with me. But that's when you're going to know that I have stopped loving you. 
when I have stopped doing what I am called to do for this congregation, when I stop teaching and preaching the word and encouraging you through this book on what it is you are supposed to do with the gifts that God has given you to affect and impact this world for the cause of Christ. Serious business that never takes care of itself. Paul says here, he challenges the elders, make sure you guard those God has given you. Make sure God, you guard those that God has given you. For there will be people who are going to show up and in essence they're going to eat and destroy the flock. It's a sad and scary thing that some are going to come from within, this passage says. He reminds Timothy also later on in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's a sad thing. Some of these people are going to come from within the church. They're the people who don't have the interest of the pastor or the elders and leadership in their hearts. That's what the scripture says. If that's offensive, I don't, I don't make any apologies. I didn't write it. Paul did. You can argue with him when you get there. He says that it's going to come from within and that these people do not have the interest of the pastor and the leadership in their hearts. Paul says the only reason why they teach the things that they teach is to separate and to gain followers for themselves. Selfish and non-sacrificing people who simply want followers and to have their ego stroked. Corrupt doctrines, gathering people to lead the flock astray. It's not what he wants. Paul's deep concern here shows not only his human side, but it shows his shepherd's heart as well. It shows his shepherd's heart. He's no longer going to be there for the people in Ephesus, but he has done all that God has asked him to do. He has raised up good leaders, and he has left those leaders there, and he's encouraging them now to go back. And he tells them this because of all of these things that have the potential to happen. He says, therefore, be alert. I have that underlined and circled in my Bible. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not see Snyder Day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Among all those who are sanctified. We have the word of God and his grace. Contained in his word is his grace toward all humanity that in and through Jesus Christ of Nazareth, King and Lord, salvation is found. We are a one-string banjo. That's the story we have to tell, boys. Anybody comes in and says something other than that, they're playing the wrong tune. Beware. And be even more careful because some of them are going to rise up from within your own ranks. And they're going to start playing the wrong tune. Beware. Share this truth. Teach this truth. Live this truth. Protect this truth. You are responsible as my elders in Ephesus to do this. Why? Because it is how we are built up and we are taught as Christians. This is how we are built up and taught. It's not a complicated thing. It's a complicated process to walk out from here until we die and go to heaven or Jesus takes us back. But it's not a complicated thing. It's how we come to maturity in our faith. It's how we work in ministry. The deep pastoral concern that Paul has here is that they grow in maturity and in the faith which drives them and us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. We hear that over and over again. What is God's primary purpose for us? To be conformed to the likeness of his son. What is our primary purpose? To worship God and enjoy him daily. So what brings him great joy? Why are we made for his pleasure? In order that we can be conformed to the likeness of his son. And in order for that to happen, we have to die to ourselves and live for Jesus. We then, in turn, begin to give for others. 
That's the transformational journey. It brings us from infancy to maturity, and it prepares us for ministry. And Paul's told them that you folks are ready now. You guys are ready. I mean, can you imagine? There have been the elders under Paul, and all of a sudden he's leaving. All right, boys, you're ready. Here's your assignment. We've got to carry it now. But seriously, there's a few things that he leaves. And I'll move through these quickly because I know that we're running out of time. But I think it's important that we understand these. In order for the church to grow in a healthy way as God intends, these are the things which have to take place that I pull from here. Number one, be on your guard. Be careful. Guard against, quotes, the crazies and the fierce wolves. They will seek to destroy the flock. Guard against. Lovingly, but firmly, Guard against. They will destroy the flock. Number two, live the life of generous living. Of generous living. In this, we find that we are sacrificing our lives for what God has called us to. Whatever that is, minus pastoral care ministry, where has God planted you? That's where you bloom. That's where you grow. Whatever it is. That grows us to maturity, being faithful in the little things that God gives us in order that we can be in the works of ministry here in this community and then out and about in the wider world. And within that is the generous giving for missions and the work of God in the world. The people that we support here from this church who are bringing the gospel to places we can't go. But the finances that you are faithful to give within your tithes and your offerings each week get sent out to support those who are on the front lines of the mission field. And then lastly, sacrificial living. Sacrificial living. Paul's entire life was marked by this. I account my life as worth nothing. If only I may testify to the gospel of the grace of God. My life doesn't matter to me. Sacrificial living. What he did, who he was, how he handled himself everywhere he went, and how he handled others was testimony that it was Christ in him, the hope of glory, that drove him everywhere he went. There's one more person out there who doesn't know Jesus, and I can't put my head on my pillow tonight, Lord, unless I find that person. I can see Paul thinking that way. I can see him thinking that way. He says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself what? He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul focused on who God was and who God is. He focused on his call and his mission. And within that, he gave not only his life, but he gave his time. He gave his finances for the cause of Christ in the world. Cost him his life. If all we ever do is look for what's in it for me, we will never see what God has in it for all. Say that again. If all we ever do is look for what's in it for me, we will never see what God has in it for all. Our lives are not ours. We were bought at a price. I was bought at a price. In all of the uneasiness of change and the challenges that come within that, God's faithfulness oftentimes is all we have to go on and hold on to. That encourages me. When you're standing at the edge of the cliff and you know you need to step off, we have to be assured of God's faithfulness because sometimes that is all we have. It's all we've got. Everything's pointing us in that direction and I'm just 
terrified to take the next step. But I can turn around and I can see that, okay, all of those spiritual markers for the last 30 years line up and they show God's faithfulness from the moment he captured my heart until this very moment. That encourages me and that allows me to take that next step, whatever that looks like. So as we close, we find Paul wasn't avoiding what's next at all. And his friends didn't seem to have a concern with that either. And this is the, the heartbreaking and human aspect of ministry that strikes me every time as I read this story. Just picture in your mind as we close and we're getting ready for ice cream. Paul is gathered with his elders in Miletus, more than likely on a beach. They probably all sat down and gathered around and had this conversation and Paul is broken and shared his heart with them. I'm sure they're a little bit more than slightly unsettled. Have you ever been there? Maybe they've even got a little fire going. And they're having this conversation. They're not concerned that Paul probably is going to get himself put in prison again. That seems to be his record. (laughs) Neither is Paul. But Luke records for us this. When he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. Again, the shepherd's heart. He prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all which is normal when we say our goodbyes. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. What that says to me is they wanted every last minute they had with their friend, their pastor and teacher, yes. The great apostle that would turn the world on its ear for the cause of Christ, absolutely. But they wanted every last minute they could get with their friend because they knew they would never see his face again. A life well lived. A life poured out for the cause of Christ. There are many Pauls in this world, we don't know their names. What are you called to? What is scaring you right now as the worship team comes up? What are you scared of right now? Think on that. Write it down somewhere. Pray around it. What's challenging you this morning? What's challenging you in life right now? Where do you feel as though God is just pushing you in a certain way and you're really having a hard time going that way? You're not alone. Think on that. Think on that. Let's stand and pray. As the worship team is up and and the prayer teams, if they could just take a few minutes here. I know that we've got leaders that are going to be going out back to serve, but if there are those who could just help with prayer as well, I will go right out back and help with the ice cream. But I I want to challenge us here. We spent three weeks in in one chapter of the book of Acts looking at a huge transition in the life of the Apostle Paul. And as a human being, he dealt with it in good ways. He knew when he needed to be alone. He knew when he needed to be encouraged by his friends. He knew that when his emotions were going to get the better of him, he parked away until he could keep his emotions under control. He understood God's faithfulness throughout the entire process and that was what encouraged him and motivated him along the way. 
We see today that goodbyes to something that we've always done and something that we've always had are some of the most difficult times in our lives. It's not something that Paul didn't understand. It's not something that the elders in Ephesus didn't understand. They understood it all too well and they cried together on the beach. Where in your life are you in the midst of that change and transition? How is God challenging you? Understand his faithfulness in the midst of that all. Understand that he wants to draw you into new places and help you walk through the difficult times, even at this moment. So, Father, as we just gather to sing this last song, I want to encourage anybody here this morning. If you are in need of prayer, I want to challenge you, most especially if you are unsettled and concerned, to step out. The best thing to do is to have somebody pray with you, to encourage you, to understand that you're not alone. Step out. There's folks in the front and there's folks in the back. I would encourage you to step out. Father, I pray for anybody here today who is struggling with their relationship with you. They're not sure that they're where they're supposed to be with you. But the scriptures tell us that Jesus has finished that work. If you're getting that tug in your heart that you just need to pray, to be assured, or to even step into that relationship for the first time, I want to encourage you, step out. Allow the Lord to do that work within your heart. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. We aren't guaranteed tomorrow. Now is the accepted hour. Step out. Speak that to somebody. Confess that to somebody. Allow someone to pray with you. Enter into that relationship that Jesus has purchased for you with his own blood. Father, stir our hearts with this last song as we prepare to gather together outside. In Jesus' name.